HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Four Sigma. Rethink mushrooms and check out foursigma.com today. I'm Erica Wides, host of Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Um, it's a little bit too early to spritz. No. No, no it isn't. Okay. Never. I felt like there were rules in this book, like 7 p.m., pre-meal, but spritz life means... All, all the time. Forever. Anywhere. Forever. I was actually, like, I was trying to be, like, I didn't want to, like, you know, come off the wrong way by suggesting we should be drinking right now. It is 3 p.m., but I think, you know, for us, the spritz life is, you wake up in the morning. It is a lifestyle. Yeah. From the moment you wake up to the time you go to bed. So if you couldn't tell, I have, I have Talia... Bayochi. 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 I even phonetically, <laughs> this is what I was telling you just before, math trumped uh, English for me. Um, and Leslie Pariseau. Sal? Pariseau. Mm-hmm. The ladies behind Spritz. This amazing little, but not little, this is the most compact cocktail book I think I've ever seen. I've, I've read it, I think, thrice now. And I keep on wow. picking up new like nuances aspects that make me want to spritz all the time and we should define what spritz is before we use it too much as verb noun uh without people understanding what a spritz actually is what is a spritz well a spritz is so many things existential question (laughs) (laughs) um in some ways spritz is is not actually the definition of a cocktail it's a way of cocktailing it's a way of drinking um it is, if you want to get technical and you want to define what it is as a cocktail, it is always bubbly, it's bitter, and it is always low alcohol. Um, and I feel like, Talia, you can probably articulate this better than I can, where the word spritz comes from. Yeah, so, um, well, spritz is a, a German word that means to spray, essentially, um, and it, it 
it really it sort of um, hints at the spritz's origin, which is in the north of Italy, as the story goes, at least. And you'll get a bunch of different ones from Italians because Italians. <laughs> and um, so the spritz was born during the Habsburg domination of northern Italy. Um, and it was essentially that these Austrian so- so- soldiers had come down. They were unused to you know, the, the strength of Italian wines, and they were watering them down, more or less. They were adding a spray of water. And in the beginning, um, pre, you know, soda water being widespread in Italy, it was just still water. Um, and it really isn't until the first decade of the 20th century that uh, soda water becomes a part of the equation, and really when the spritz becomes the spritz as we know it today. So it is the effervescence that purely defines what the current day spritz exactly. is. Exactly. That mm-hmm. word, when you hear that word, especially because if so, for us in America, since the 1980s, the word spritz has come to mean white wine and soda water and leotards and all of those wonderful things that the, the 80s conjure for us. Um, the word now for me, it almost just sounds like bubbliness. You yeah. know, like it, I can't imagine a spritz without without effervescence and that is really the core of it i can't imagine it without blood now there there's yes. an amazing um, little kind yeah. of allegorical story about yeah. a bartender either getting punched or punching someone in the nose yeah. thusly coloring the drink and Indeed. he was using that story as basically um as a as a satire of just how many different stories you're going to stumble across in italy when you ask the question what is the spritz and where does it come from yeah i mean what is the story behind why the two of you even care about spritzing uh, we were drinking a lot of them. It, it became one of those those go to things for us as we uh, simultaneously while we were starting punch and um, bringing punch to life, we were drinking a lot. We had amassed this giant. <laughs> I mean, yeah, obviously just a lot all the time. Um, we had amassed this giant uh, store of of cocktail ingredients, spirits, wines, and all of it is was living in two of Talia's closets in her apartment. <laughs> And um, we we were testing every single cocktail that was going into the Punch Archive. At the same time, we were looking for um, foils to those things because we were drinking a lot of strong, stirred things. And we also were working at the same time. So we had to figure out how to keep drinking, but also not pass out at our desk at 7 p.m. Um, and so we were drinking a lot of low-alcohol things. And whenever you want to just mix something together and throw some Prosecco on it, it always tastes good. Yeah. I mean, I, I love that. The Greeks and or Romans mm-hmm. diluted their wines, mm-hmm. uh, added honey herbs, um, so they could drink a pitcher yeah. per during these, these forms, during these aggregates. Mm, they were long, man. Yeah. You just never know how long yeah. the symposium was going to go. You <laughs> had to have something that could go to the distance. And it's like, if you're going out drinking this day and age, you don't want to start with a Negroni. You want to start with maybe a Negroni Spagliato. We tried that. Yeah. It, it didn't work. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Three Negronis is just never the right call. The interesting thing about the spritz, too, is that it sort of became, you know, lo and behold, our inclination to want something low alcohol and um, lo-fi was really a symbol of a larger movement away from that, like, how much booze can you fit in a glass to, hey, let's, you know, a cocktail can be serious or important. It doesn't have to have, like, the highest amount of proof to be that. And that, you know, I think people are looking for more variety from from what's offered on a cocktail menu when they go out. Well, I mean, let's talk about one of these aspects of a spritz, the the bitter liqueur, Mm -hmm. Um, because that also didn't introduce itself to the early 1900s, 1920s, 1930s. if you have those alone, I know there was a trend for a while of taking shots of things like Punta Mez. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that's a terrible idea, and it's so much better within the spritz. Mm-hmm. Um, 
what are bitter liqueurs and, and how did that start to become part of that spritzing drink culture? Yeah, so I, uh, you know, the, the interesting thing too is that you know the spritz. It really is until the twenties and thirties that I mean these 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 bitter liqueurs or bitter wines were around before then, um, but it's really not until then that 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 bitter liqueur that bitter wine makes its way into the spritz formula, and that's really where the spritz becomes like a truly Italian uh, tradition. Um, and you know these were originally medicine. You know they were they were in Italian culture. They were used to curb any you know indigestion for and, and all manners of different illnesses. They were infused with things like gentian and quinine. Um, so you know it, you, you see in the twenties and thirties that these these bitter liqueurs and bitter wines go from being medicine to being something that's part of leisure. Um, and that's a really important moment for Italian drinking culture for sure. You visited Venice. You visited, you know, all the cities within that area of mm-hmm. Italy. But let's talk about the Bacari, those Venetian little wine bars. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell me what it's like to be in that space. And does it feel medicinal or does it feel like relaxation? <laughs> uh, the Venetians are the ultimate relaxers. They know they know how to party, but they also know how to just how to chill out. And it's interesting when you go there. Um, you sort of go on these little crawls around Bakari. You don't just go to one. You go to several. And some of them aren't even open past 5 p.m. So a lot of times Venetians will show up to lunch at noon or 2, um, have a couple of glasses of wine, a spritz, and bites, and then head back to work. Um, or maybe they don't come back to work at all. <laughs> they don't go back to work. <laughs> I don't know if they're even working. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but it's interesting when you're in Venice, the the... Uh, golden hour, this aperitivo hour happens much earlier than other parts of Italy and it, it is because they, they do know the nature of leisure. This is a, a place where, you know, carnival comes from. Um, this is a place that was uh, built on on experiencing leisure and art and culture. Um, and to sit in Venice and have a spritz is to be in the at the in the very presence of where the spritz was was invented and meant to be drunk. I mean, how does that differ from Milan? Uh, luckily, mm-hmm. I got to go to Barbasso when I was there. Uh, the spritz yeah. as big as your head. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> how is how is Milan different than Venice? Milan is an industrial city. Um, it was built on industry, and that that spirit of um, of working still pervades it as, as part of the culture. You're going out much later. You're getting off of work at 6 or 6.30 p.m., um, and that's when your social hour begins. So you you have this feeling of, um, of a, a cosmopolitan nature that you don't necessarily get in Venice. Um, people are going out in their finest. They're coming out of work. Um, they actually work there. That's actually, really yeah. the only yes. It's like people exactly. are going to work. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, I... I think also that there is this culture of um, the buffet aperitivo, which is a more modern iteration of aperitivo, and it can be really terrible. It can also be great if you find the right place, but Milan, or if you're really hungry and very poor, <laughs> and you're a student. I mean, that is really where that that exactly. has originated to to basically pander to a younger audience that wanted to be able to essentially have dinner. Uh, in place of something aperitivo was not meant to be dinner. It's called so, aperitina there. Right. So it's like basically just dinner. Um, <laughs> so it's, it is sort of a bastardization of the tradition, but it exists more in Milan than it does in, in, in Venice. Uh, you see it in Torino as well. So mm-hmm. 
also Milan is just very the variation of the kinds of aperitivo that you find there is so much bigger. I mean, in Venice, you find the same chicchetti in most of the bars. They're small. Um, in Milan, I mean, you could go and be drinking like craft cocktails as we define them in America during aperitivo. You could be drinking Negroni Spagliatos. You could be, you know, sitting in an Armani cafe with like a bunch of, you know, bejeweled people. Mm-hmm. So there is just there's so many different kinds of aperitivo in Milan. Yeah, it's fascinating to hear this kind of breadth of demographic because, mm-hmm. you know, flashing forward to, to the 80s, I think one of my favorite lines in the whole book is aging suburban femininity. Mm-hmm. Um, that white wine spritz that mm-hmm. kind of dominated U.S. culture. But mm-hmm. um, who is it for? Who is the spritz intended um, for as a drinker in Italy, in the U.S., around the world? Everybody. Everyone. I mean, in Italy, it's become like a t- complete phenomenon. Um, and in in places in the Triveneto and all across the north, you see you know young people shoulder to shoulder with, you know, uh, in Milan with guys in suits and older gentlemen. And so it really is something that and in many of the conversations that we had had with people when we were talking about aperitivo is that the, at, at it, in its greatest form, it's something that does cross generations. And I think the spritz in Italy has become that it is it's its ability to basically be from north to south a drink that is so pervasive is not even something that we can even grasp in america there's nothing like that here really um and and now i think that crossing over um the atlantic and back to america that the spritz is something that can be for everyone and i think it's making inroads in that way for sure in Italy, also, the, the spritz is a populist drink. You can drink it for two or three euros. Mm-hmm. It's something that is incredibly cheap. And whether you're 18 years old and in university or, you know, on your retirement funds, you can afford it. And you can afford a few of them. Excellent. Well, we're going to take a quick break, come back and tell people how to build a <laughs> bar or, or have that bar and be able to turn it into the spritz life. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We'll be right back. Sigmatic is a superfood company started by a group of Finnish fun guys who got sick of using mushroom supplements that didn't work. The company wants to help popularize mushrooms like chaga, reishi, cordyceps, and lion's mane with products like mushroom coffee and hot cocoa. The company was started in 2012 and launched its products here in the U.S. in 2015. Here in the studio, we have been loving their products. I drink the mushroom coffee with cordyceps, and Aaron loves their mushroom hot chocolate mix. So rethink mushrooms and check out foursigma.com today. Have you listened to A Taste of the Past? It's a show devoted to connecting our current food world with its storied past. Host and culinary historian Linda Palaccio welcomes chefs, scientists, authors, scholars, and revolutionaries into the studio to discuss food culture and history from around the globe. Have you seen the culture of food change over the past 25, 30 years? It's been incredible. Linda covers content ranging from the history of black chefs in the White House to behavioral psychology and the evolution of Italian food in America. You can listen to A Taste of the Past anytime on HeritageRadioNetwork.org or on iTunes and Stitcher. 
And welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here with Tali and Leslie, the, the ladies behind Spritz. And we're going to build a bar. Apro TV 101. What do we need? What, what are the components of making a Spritz? Um, you need something that is bubbly. We always have Prosecco on hand or some sort of sparkling wine. Um, and that's just sort of a rule for our own bars because you can make so many things if you've got sparkling wine. Um, soda water. I personally love my soda stream. Yeah, soda stream. Um, and it's it also like has a really aggressive bubble, which is important to the spritz. Um, beyond that, you need to build your aperitivo section. If you want to just go really lo-fi, you can always just have Campari or Aperol, which is sort of the baseline for red bitter. But if you want to build on that, uh, we love Contrato. We love um, Coquia Americano. Um, what else do we love? We love Capoletti. We love Capoletti. Um, and now Select, which was um, born on the mm-hmm. island of Murano uh, and was you know, said to be the original bitter to make its way into the spritz. That's coming to America, which is really exciting because when you're in Venice, you drink a lot of Select and it's delicious. Um, so that and then, of course, I mean, you can even cross over from there. Like Chinar, for example, mm-hmm. is, a, is an Amari. It's typically considered an Amari, um, but it does find its way into the spritz uh, quite often. And it's great um, to have on hand as well. Why is that the one that stuck out? You know, know, because people, oh, it's artichoke, but it has none of that resonant no. flavor. I mean, um, how 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 much do these kind of bitter liqueurs differ? I mean, what what does Campari taste like versus Martini Rossi? Mm-hmm. A lot. Yeah, really, they're really different. And th- because they're when they're red, you're like, oh, your brain is like, oh, this is all the same because it's all red. Um, but no, I mean, there are things that you see a lot of the same ingredients that repeat. So like bitter orange is, is you know, you'll find that in a lot of these rhubarb, um, things of that nature in the red bitters. But there's like Campari is so distinct. There is no other red bitter to me that even approximates the taste of Campari. No, it's it's super astringent and incredibly bitter. But that that note of bitter orange that somehow translates as is like bittersweet is it's so there's nothing else like it in the same way i think that capoletti is is incredibly distinct too mm-hmm. well it's wine based which exactly. is one thing and that makes it c- taste completely different cocaine americano these are these are americanos which is essentially gentian is the bittering agent they're wine based um so there are a couple different categories here too within red bitter like mm-hmm. a- something that's labeled aperitivo so you see on on aperol's label it says aperitivo that's a signal that it's lower in alcohol and typically sweeter um, so it's you can find shorthands for these things, but it's an incredibly like challenging and complicated group of bitters that aren't as explored as the digestivi. Yeah, and there's also aromatized wines. Exactly, the canado, the. Um I and mean, even like like you know, like you said, puntamez, which is essentially yeah. a bitter vermouth. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's a and lot vermouth. of and vermouth. Yes. And vermouth. That's a whole other world. So yeah. I feel like if someone dug through their liquor cabinet, they at least have something that resembles uh, that genre of drink that they can mm-hmm. spritz with. A hundred percent. And you can, if you don't have something bitter, you can always just go with the the classic white spritz, which is just prosecco and soda water. Yeah. Throw in some fresh fruit and. That's the spritz, too. I actually want to go back to, what is it, the 1880s, mm-hmm. uh, the coffee houses uh, yeah, in Italy. Um, because what's fascinating is we, we just talked about this kind of large gamut of, of bitter liqueurs, but we now know in coffee culture today this large gamut of different coffee styles and flavors. And I feel like um, 
our spritz understanding hasn't caught up to our coffee understanding, mm-hmm. but they come from a same, a very similar bitter place. Yeah. It's, it's also has to do with the social aspect of being in a coffee house and sort of, you know, crossing from the early part of the day into the afternoon and the evening and continuing to socialize over those hours. So we're saying spritz is the new coffee. Uh, Yeah. I mean, look, like in (laughs) Italy, a a bar is a cafe, a cafe is a bar. You know, like Mm -hmm. there are there is no if wherever you're getting a coffee, you can also drink, which is so amazing. We should be doing that (laughs) more often. Yeah. It's, you know, leftover weird liquor laws from prohibition that that keeps us from doing that. It also keeps us from keeping from having our cats and dogs on the bar. But the the social aspect to cocktails in America is quite different from that in in Italy. Um, And also there's sort of the stigma in America, like we were just talking about in the beginning, it's starting to drink too early in the day. Um, And that's uh, you're if you're going out to lunch in Italy, you're probably having a glass of wine alongside it. Yeah, I mean, you're having these watered down, well, not watered down, but d- diluted cocktails relative to those that we sure. go out to at night. So yeah. it, it's not really drinking during the day. It's like it's it's pre-gaming like we did before we went out. Yeah, it's light drinking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the drinks themselves, I mean, we, we can segue directly into the coffee spritz mm-hmm. because that, that's an amazing <laughs> one that kind of bridges the gap of, you know, coffee house and, and cocktail bar. That's exactly what we had in mind. Yeah. You yeah. had it. I didn't even read the head note. No. <laughs> I just knew it's just resonated with me um but tell me about you know um not only developing but finding these recipes uh how did you call these together bartenders uh visiting spritz locations or they just ruminate in your heads we uh we asked a lot of bartenders we are eternally grateful to all of the people who who are always contributing to punch and that sort of gave us a baseline for knowing who is willing and good at developing recipes and um also easy to get at. Um, one of the people that we started with, a couple of the people, Alex Day and Natasha David of Proprietors. Um, Natasha had an entire spritz section on her menu at Nightcap and still has one. And that sort of gave us a baseline for for just trying out drinks. And her drinks tend to be very complex. So from those, we, we started building out um, what we wanted from other people. We also when we looked at all of these recipes and tested them, um, we saw there were some gaps in flavor profiles and, and things that we wanted to taste ourselves. And so we just sort of took it from there and made a lot of things. Well, I mean, tell me about this punch house spritz too. Mm-hmm. I mean, you developed one for the office itself. Yeah. And that, and, and it, this is really one of the great, like sort of crowd pleasing spritzes. And it has, you know, Cokie Americano, grapefruit juice and, um, Lini Lambrusco Rosato, which is, um, something that actually is more widely available than it sounds like it might. Cause it's a rosé Lambrusco. Um, and, uh, it's, it's just an easy fun loving spritz that has just a tiny bit of bitterness, but is totally sessionable. Like you just, you can't not want to drink a bunch of those. Yeah. One of the rules that we learned is that Koki Americano tastes good in everything. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so why isn't it here today? I mean, you were worried about us spritzing too early, but now that I've learned, you can spritz any time. You want to spritz right now, don't you? I do. See, I know. I did a terrible job. I, <laughs> no, you did Actually, David uh, wants to spritz right now, raising his hand. Yeah. We Eight all want to spritz right now. Eight minutes spritz time. <laughs> <laughs> um, that punch house spritz exists in your offices in mm-hmm. Bushwick, and I feel like uh, so many spritzes have have a time and place. Um, 
another one, the Taroko spritz. Mm-hmm. Having been to Sicily uh. and had those blood oranges in hand, just reading that recipe alone kind of brought me back to, to like the, the north side of Mount Etna. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. How many of these things kind of set a, a, a scene while drinking? That was that was the feeling that we wanted these these drinks to telegraph. Um, the Taroko spritz was actually based on another Natasha David recipe, um, and something that we wanted to make a little bit more accessible to the home bartender. Um, and we were actually testing a lot of these recipes in winter time, which is not the the intuitive time for drinking spritzes. But we had a lot of blood oranges at our disposal, and we also knew that this was a very Italian ingredient. So we wanted to telegraph that feeling of of being in Italy and having these beautiful, vibrant. Uh, red blood oranges. Another one that we uh, also hearken back to is the Sensa Spritz, which uh, we wanted to evoke this feeling of the sea and being on the on the lagoons of Venice. And there's actually a festival called that that celebrates the Sensa, where it sort of symbolizes uh, Venice's marriage to the sea, and they take boats out and they toss a gold ring into mm-hmm. the into the ocean. Of course, they do. <laughs> But it, it too, like we with everything in the book, with the design, with the drinks, we were really trying to find like a real balance between, um, you know, a, something that that felt really Italian, but also, um, you know, ha- channeled America as well. Because I mean, we're here in America. This is something that is not just a book that is about uh, the spritz as it exists in Italy, but how this has carried over across the ocean and, and probably has become a trend here as well. So you see that all over the book too like where you'll there's a lot of italian stuff going on um but in the design we wanted it to be not only channeling these italian these classic italian booze advertisements um from you know the the 20s on through the mid-century but also 1980s california yeah um with the brightness and with all of the the the, how graphic the photography is yeah no i mean it's it's a strikingly lovely book. Um, <laughs> Thank you. And then every once in a while, though, it's a little tongue-in-cheek. And I love that about it um, because you have the hungry, hungry hipster cocktail yeah. on there. <laughs> Toby Maloney, yeah. who, who is such a serious you know, bartender, um, mm-hmm. kind of shows that you don't have to be strict about your spritz. Yeah, it was really nice to to see the array of recipes that we got, and they you know span the gamut from beer cocktails to um, traditional spritz blueprints. Um, but when we saw this recipe from Toby and it had Miller High Life in it, which is it's sort of the de facto office beer at Punch headquarters, we were like, "Oh, this is going in if it tastes like crap." <laughs> yeah, it's it's going matter. In. Yeah. It, it's actually like it was surprisingly delicious, but we really wanted to to champion the Miller yeah. High Life. Cocktail. I mean, those colleges have to spritz too. <clears throat> yeah, so you might as well yeah. introduce them with uh, the champagne of beers. Well, and there's a great Leslie line in the book just about um, how these recipes are really meant as trailheads. Like they aren't like they're not ending points, right? So this whole book is meant to be like look at these recipes as something that are that are sort of endlessly riffable, and that if you don't have all of these ingredients, like you can still approximate this spritz, and chances are it's going to be delicious. The spritz is totally forgiving, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a big uh, that's a big part of the message of the book too. Yeah, well, I mean, it's forgiving, but it's also accessible in other locations around New York. There's a great call out to Wild Air here yeah. in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, it, w- what is their spritz comprised of? So their spritz is like sort of the 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 like the other side of the hipster spritz. It's like not the Miller High Life like lowbrow hipster. It's like highbrow pet nat hipster. <laughs> so um, it's pet nat, which is uh, a type of sparkling wine that's made in something called the Method Ancestrale. Essentially, um, it finishes its fermentation in bottle, no added sugar, no added 
yeast um, and it becomes sparkling naturally. It is it is bottled without uh, fining or filtration, so it still has all of its yeast. It's cloudy. Um, and they have uh, a, a producer, Le Capriade, that they use there, the Pet Sec, along with Mauro Vergano's uh, Americano, which is a bitter Americano, which is wine-based and comes from uh, Piemonte, and it's delicious. It's just those two ingredients and um, we love that. And that's on the menu there. It's been on the menu there since they open. See, are restaurants opening, though, you know, golden hour times for people to spritz and kind of lounge in that? Or are they hoping people stay for dinner as well? I, I, I think the idea is they stay for dinner, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah, I think you're finding it more and more. It's uh, it's probably a very urbane thing to do, uh, but we're about to kick off a book tour around the country, so we're going to find out. We're going to go spritz we're everywhere. see. And please report back. We well, certainly will. And don't spritz in the way where it's the punch to the nose. I mean, no. th- that may happen in some cities. I don't know how there will not be blood. That. <laughs> no, no, no. This will be all positive, positive vibes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll be following you your personal spritz trail because you also have that great map info, infographic in the book about Italy. Yeah. Um, I can't wait to see the U.S. spritz trail that that the two of you blaze. Exactly. We're Um, cutting that trail starting soon. Congrats to the book again. Thank you so much. um, I will be living the spritz life. (laughs) I I can see it on your face. You're ready. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. With a wife like mine, you already know that's been implemented. Uh I feed her spritzes, (laughs) you know. (laughs) You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turgell. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. A big thank you to Four Sigma for sponsoring cookies for music as always and david engineering the heck out of this ciao thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org you can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Today's program was brought to you by the 2016 Food and Enterprise Summit presented by Slow Money NYC. Want to learn how to finance a better food system? Are you ready to showcase your food business or product in front of New York's top players in the food industry? Join like-minded entrepreneurs and investors at the 2016 Food and Enterprise Summit in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Tickets available at foodandenterprise.com. Save 20% when you enter special discount code FRIENDS20 for Heritage Radio Network listeners.